This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen, all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. For me, he goes right. Oh, stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sox win. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Uh, welcome on in, Fred Hubner, along with Chris Black for the next, well, usually three hours, but now just two and a half hours because we're going NBA crazy here at ESPN 1000. It's a Game 7, Chris. There's nothing like a Game 7. They used to say there's nothing like a Game 7 in hockey, and that was a couple years ago, so I watched a couple of Game 7s in hockey, and the finals were like 5-2 to two and 6-1. to one. I go, well, that sucked. But in the NBA, there was a Game 7 last night, which was okay, I guess, for... Maybe a half. Yeah. And then Boston opened up a lead and Milwaukee couldn't come back and Giannis yeah. played like somebody else. He didn't play like Giannis and that well, game was over and not kind of boring. Yeah, for and the difference is in hockey the game can go forever. Yes. Right? Like it could turn into a game that lasts seven hours if so. Yeah. But in the NBA, usually they figure it out in one or two overtime. They so, usually do. Yeah. So that's why but game Plus, seven their today. overtimes are only five minutes yeah, right. in the NBA. So it's a lot quicker. Uh, <laughs> it sure is. But today's a big day because LeBron James is up against it. Now, I think um, most people who follow the NBA or just our casual basketball fans kind of realize that LeBron will probably come out today and play really well. He'll probably give you a triple-double. He'll probably score 35-plus points. Uh, Kevin Love will probably hit a couple uh, corner three-point shots that are set up by LeBron James' drives. Mm -hmm. And the Cavs will probably move on. But the intrigue to this game and why it's it's so interesting to me, Fred, is because until that happens, right. the possibility of him getting knocked out in the first round is very real at this moment. It sure is. And, and you know, last week we asked the question if you wanted LeBron to get to the finals or, you know, if, if you didn't want him to. Well, now the question, I mean, we're not going to do a poll on this one today, but it's just there's a lot of people interested in this game. Because of LeBron, yeah. there are a lot. Of, I don't know. What do you think? It's pretty equal. The number of people who want to see him advance to the number of people who want to see him fail. I don't know. It's it. He he doesn't seem happy in, in these playoffs right now. I know he was happy the other day when he hit the three pointer. Then I was unhappy when I saw that. You know they they made the mistake on the goaltending call a little bit earlier than that on the uh, the old depot layup and yeah. I mean it's like you've got replay. I'm the first guessing, time they show it, you can tell. But yeah, I, I'm guessing it's it's probably 50-50. I think best-case scenario for the league would be if LeBron got to the conference finals and was eventually beaten in the conference finals by the next up-and-coming team, whether that be the Celtics yeah. or the 76ers. Or, you know, like, I think going out in the first round will really change the perception of him in his career in the arc. What did we talk about all season long? How great LeBron was, 82 games. But really, if you get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, what's the difference between that and the Trailblazers? Sure. 
Exactly. I mean, I, I get it. LeBron's a fantastic player. This isn't a rip LeBron's thing. No, but, it's not. But when he bounces this summer, there's no way he's going to stay in Cleveland if they lose in the first round of the playoffs. No, you certainly wouldn't think so. And, I, you know, in, in the NBA, and I've been taught this for years because, like I said, you, you guys are much bigger NBA fans than I am, and uh, you need two, if not three, you know, star players to win. Yeah. Unless you're Oklahoma City, and then you can't win with three. Um, so LeBron doesn't have that. The close, no. the next, it's LeBron, and then the next closest thing is Kevin Love, and then after that, it's uh, no, not really. Rodney Hood. Yeah, I mean, I you mean, don't, right? So you don't have one. So I'm trying to figure out if it would make more. I mean, for the NBA, if it's better to get guys like Oladipo advancing to the next round and other younger guys advancing and moving on. Like I thought that seeing the Pelicans advance and getting Anthony Davis to the next round was fun. And I thought it was fun throughout the entire first quarter last night. And then all of a sudden, the Warriors just ran up and down the court and outscored them by 20 in the second quarter. Eh, not so fun. But I think in the NBA, maybe to spread it around, because so many people thought that going into the season it was going to be the Warriors and the Cavs and there was no reason to watch, you know, the, your, your, your casual NBA fans uh, might have thought that. I think because of this, there's more interest because you see a Boston team without some of their stars win a series in advance. I think there's more interest because it's not as predictable uh, as, you know, and maybe at the end it will be. Maybe it would still be Warriors and Cavs. But I think going into today, there's a lot of people sitting there pulling for Oladipo after what they saw him do the other day with the, what was it, 38 points the other day and hanging from the rim and just slamming and getting to the, he was fun to watch. That was a fun game. That was a shocking final to me. I didn't think the Pacers had it in them Uh to force a game seven and they blew the Cavs out. They did. You know, LeBron didn't even play in the fourth quarter. That's how big of a a blowout it was. And he sat there with a big bandage on his eye after getting cut. And and Fred, Fred, I, I'm not sure what's better and I'm not quite sure because the, the Pacers are not a good team. Right. They went 48 and 38. Yeah. They're only two games back from the Cavs, the 4-5 matchup. So it's not like LeBron getting knocked out is replaced by this superstar in Oladipo who's going to take the mantle. They're going right. to get crushed in the next round probably anyway. And it, it's going to be fascinating. And that's why today you can hear the game on ESPN 1000. Pre-game starts at 1130. You can hear the game at noon. And then you can watch the game on ABC television as well. It's something we'll talk about because the day is here. But there's a lot to get to as well, Fred. The oh Bears draft is up. The yeah. Cubs are hot. Look at this team. The Cubs are rolling. Well, you know what they've done? You know what they did yesterday for the first time all year is they won three games in a row. Yeah. That was their third straight win. Their pitching is getting uh, is doing very, very well. You Darvish had a nice outing. And you and I have been sitting here the last couple weeks criticizing you, Darvish. He had a nice outing the other day. Uh, that was good to see for the Cubs. And yesterday, Jose Quintana, who struggled a little bit, was giving up runs. He was tremendous yesterday for the Cubs. Quintana, seven innings, no runs, two hits. He struck out seven. Their first three-game winning streak of the season. They've won five out of six. And the most important part is you got to win games in your division. And a lot of people said, well, Milwaukee, they, they got Lorenzo Cain and they got Yelich and they're going to be really tough. And last year they were in first all the way till the middle of the season. And then the, before the Cubs caught them, well, the Cubs are six and one against Milwaukee so far. Pretty and good. they've shut them out four times. So that's big. You know, going into the season, the Cubs knew what the talk was. The Cubs players knew that they needed to play well against Milwaukee and play well in their division. So far, they're playing very well, and they wrap up the series today. Tyler Chatwood, let's see what he can do. Last outing, I think he had five walks, five strikeouts. He did get what they call a uh, quality start, but Zach Davies, the opponent, and 
the wind has been so tricky at Wrigley Field yesterday. If it wasn't for the wind, they might still be playing. That was a, <laughs> that was a bizarre game yesterday. Uh, Almora and Baez both extend their hitting streaks to 11 games. They're both career highs. And Baez's was a ball that just they lose in the sun and the wind blows it and it falls and they, it drops and they score a run. But you know what? When you get good pitching, you're always in games, and that's what going into the season the Cubs thought they were going to get with with you, Darvish, and with Quintana. We'll have a lot more baseball talk, but that's that's actually fun, and Cub fans are getting excited now because they figure, listen, they put three together, uh, they've got some interesting games coming up, and it's going to be fun. And now the weather's getting warmer. Yeah, and we've um, matched this team up with last year's team because of the slow start, but they had an excuse last year. The excuse was they were hungover from the party in 2016, right? Yep. Uh, so I've been charting all along the start, and last year to this point, basically they've been on the same pace for runs against and their win-loss record has basically been the same throughout the start of this season. It still is. If we go back, so the Cubs today, 14-10, and 10, of course, they're playing better, three-game winning streak. They're yep. playing well. They can sweep the Brewers today at Wrigley Field. Last year, they were 13-11 and 11 at this point in the season. They scored 122 runs. They had 104 runs against. Right now, the Cubs are 14-10. and 10. They've scored 128 runs, so they're scoring more than they did last year at this point. But here's the key. Every single time we've hosted, and I've brought this up, yeah. basically runs against have been identical. But now, over the course of the last week, last year, 104 runs against to this point. Right now, 95. Yep. So the starting pitching starting to kick in, and all of a sudden now you see this team playing the way they're supposed to be playing. I don't care if it's early. Play good baseball, and then we'll we'll be fine with yeah. it. And that's all that matters because, and I brought it up last hour, Fred, and I, I know you heard it. It's early, but if you're the Dodgers today... You lose again last night to the Giants. You're seven games back yeah. to the Diamondbacks. I mean, listen, you have a long season. I get that. But seven games back is pretty pretty good, pretty substantial this early in the season. Yeah, it really is. Uh, the fact that they're only two games under five hundred, plus the Diamondbacks are playing unbelievable. We'll talk more right. about that in the notebook at uh, 10.30. They're doing real well. The Pirates, uh, they've won four in a row. They still have a half-game lead over the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Brewers. There's a three-way tie uh, for uh, second place. Now, percentage points, the Cubs are 583, Cardinals 577, Brewers 571, but they're all just a half game back of the Pirates. You'll get that this time of the year. The White Sox played two in Kansas City. It was a long, long day in Kansas City. We'll talk about uh, some more of those unwritten baseball rules, apparently. Oh, great. And Salvador Perez was upset with Tim Anderson. I was upset with Tim Anderson, too, but it had nothing to do with him uh, pointing to the skies when he comes to home run after your home, home plate after a home run. But Lord. we will talk about that, too. But the NFL draft, we talked. Let's do it. How many months did we talk and preview the NFL draft? We had no idea. We had a chance. We, we thought maybe Quentin Nelson. We thought maybe maybe Roquan Smith. But when you have the eighth pick, it's pretty easy. Just imagine when you're, when you're a good team and you have like 22, 23. Mm-hmm. Mock drafts are ridiculous at that point. You have no sure. idea what's going to happen with the 21. The Bears had a chance, though. It, it, it kind of made some sense to talk about it because with the eighth pick, you knew they that maybe they'll move up. Maybe they'll grab uh, Quentin Nelson. Well, the Indianapolis Colts, who people said 
The Colts have. I, I I was listening to the station last week, and Trey Wingo said the Indianapolis Colts have never showed a uh, propensity to want to protect their quarterback. So why would they go after <laughs> Quentin Nelson? And well, they did. They finally realized that you know what? If we're going to have Andrew Luck, we may want someone to protect Andrew Luck. And now they go out and get Quentin Nelson. And uh, so then the Bears. I don't want to have to say they scramble. They had to scramble because you know what? Roquan Smith. Uh, I watched Georgia play twice last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, the semifinals and the final. Sure. And he was all over the field. He come, was, on, come on, Fred. They were they were the best team in college football for like I know. eight, nine weeks of the season. I watched two. Uh, but every <laughs> and, and when I watched him, yeah. I didn't even know who the guy was. I just said, yeah. this guy's all over the place. He's going side to side. He's making every tackle. He's getting in on the quarterback. I go, this is a, this'd be a great guy to get. Now, when the draft rolls around and the Bears get him, I'm going, this is wonderful. Because if you remember, and I know you do, you're a big Bears guy, season ticket holder. The one thing Brian Erlacher did, a lot of people say, well, Erlacher can't, may not be able to do this. He might not be able Erlacher went, went side to side. Uh-huh. He was, he would do anything. He would go side to side. He was also great at covering tight ends out of the backfield. I would think Roquan Smith would be able to do that too with the speed he has. He can also get to the quarterback. I think, you know, Vic Fangio's got to be happy as can be, not only because he got a hole in one last week, but also because he gets Roquan Smith to add. I mean, you remember the 49ers uh, linebackers that were such a good uh, combo when he was there? Well, now he's putting that together with Danny Trevathan, and you get Roquan Smith, and hopefully you get a full season healthy of Leonard Floyd, and uh, they, they bring in Lynch uh, from San Francisco. So there's things to be excited about with the Bears' defense. They really didn't go out and get the safety that I think a lot of people wanted. Because some people said, well, Minka Fitzpatrick's out there. And there's there's other guys out there that they could get. Right now, it looks like they're going to be with pretty much the secondary they went with last year. They're two corners or two safeties. I don't think there's going to be anybody changing that. So I'm not sure if that's a great thing. Their linebackers look improved. The defensive line, still working on that. Still working on it, but... I think you can agree, and you can disagree, because uh, that's, that's, that's the point yeah. of this, right, Fred? Yeah. Um, I think the front seven is improved, though. And if you can improve your front seven and have depth in the front seven, then the cornerback, the secondary, it, it's not as import- important if you can get to the quarterback. Right Now, if you can't get to the quarterback, yeah. then we're still in the same mixed bag of issues that we had last year with this defense, because Rodgers, Cousins... And uh, Stafford are in the division. You're going to have to face those guys six times this right. upcoming season. So I do like the pick. Roquan Smith, I think it's an obvious pick. I don't think there's a lot of um, a negativity coming from this pick. No, because it was, it, was, it was. Here's the thing. If Ryan Pace in the past drafted what we all thought he should have done, then I think... You could say this year, like, oh, well, we could have done this with Dur- Darwin James, or we could have done this with Fitzpatrick, or whatever you know you want to point to. But since he's been a little erotic with how he's going erratic, about, not erratic, erratic, yeah. erotic, both. <laughs> he might maybe, have been erratic. He, yeah, while while being erratic, <laughs> he may be. Um, that's great. Uh, I think since it was so obvious, it's what had to be done. Yeah, and now going forward in this draft. He needs these guys from this year to perform because if he doesn't get three starters out of this group, he's not going to be around for when Mitch Trubisky becomes that Pro Bowl level quarterback that everyone wants him to be. Yeah. You know, because like if you start stacking all of these drafts together, I get it. You don't want to draft, you don't want to grade today's draft or this weekend's draft. That's fine. But if you start grading all of Ryan Pace's picks, 
Now you have to be to the point where these guys are slotted in and they're starters and they're contributing for this team to even get to 500. Yeah. So if that's not going to be the case from this collection of players, then Trubisky, when he's good, will have a different GM here. That's just the way it's going to work. Whether or not Trubisky and that move was right, that move is justified if you get starters out of this group and this team is improved to win Trubisky's ready and developed that he can actually utilize someone like Anthony Miller. Well, and, and then the defense is good enough to keep them in games to allow Trubisky to, to play well in the fourth quarter. Well, I, I think what happened in uh, the second round, and if you want to jump in, three one two three three two three seven seven six. Patrick Finley coming up in a couple minutes, bottom of the hour. I think what happened is when they didn't get Quentin Nelson, and then they went and got Roquan Smith, there was a good chance that they were going to get an offensive lineman in the second round. And then when they go after James Daniels, and I'm watching ESPN, and I'm watching, uh, and they say, you know, James Daniels, the center from Iowa, the best center in the draft by, you know, by many, and I'm saying, so I immediately tweet out, so Whitehair's going to go to guard? And I put a question mark. And they made sure, Ryan Pace made sure when he got to the podium on a Friday night, uh, James Daniels is going to be a guard, and we're going to leave Cody Whitehair at center. That's yeah. the way it's going to be, and then they're going to cross-train. He's going to cross-train to be a center, uh, but he knows how to play the center position. Now he's going to be playing the guard position. That's a good thing. They, now they have their guard. So right off the bat, okay, they didn't get Quentin Nelson. Now they've got a guard. So now their offensive line is set. One less thing to worry about, and that was great. Then they go after another receiver, and Anthony Miller, a guy that had some injury problems, didn't work out for a lot of people until late and the Bears obviously like what he saw. And the one thing you've heard since Matt Nagy got here and Ryan Pace, um, and they've been acquiring wide receiver talent, there's one thing they talk about. It's catching with your hands. Hands catcher. Be a hands catcher. And uh, grab the ball. And that's what they say this kid Anthony Miller does. He goes after the ball. He is aggressive going after the ball. And I think... All Bears fans can't wait to see that. And that's going to make Mitchell Trubisky's passing percentage a little bit better if you're going to have guys that are going to go after the ball instead of shy away from the ball or drop the ball like we've seen over the last couple of years. And a positive that I'll take away from the first three picks as well is that you are getting players uh, in the first and second round that are, that are not only highly ranked in their position yeah. but also highly ranked overall because if – you look at James Daniels. He's the number one center on the board. He's ranked 18th overall of all the prospects on ESPN.com. That's great. So the Bears yeah. theoretically have two players in the top 20 from this draft based on draft grades. And if he can play guard, that's fantastic. 6'3", 306. He was really good at Iowa as a center. He seems like he knows how to handle himself along the line and work with others well. So I think that will be fantastic. And Anthony Miller in his own right, like you said, a ball catcher, uh, he's had some concerns with ball security, though. Right. But whether or not he can catch it and, and, and make a move to get open, I think is valuable. 5'11", 201, played at Memphis. He was the fifth-ranked wide receiver from Todd McShay. He's 46th-ranked overall. So the Bears get three players in the top 50 from ESPN.com's rankings going into the draft. I think that's pretty good. You know what they – we were talking about Anthony Miller, and everybody – and most of the things say Anthony Miller's a slot guy. Some people say he immediately would be slotted behind Taylor Gabriel. But you know what that means? That they don't have a number two receiver. Well, they have Allen Robinson, and they're actually relying on Kevin White to become their number two. Well, I think you have three guys, and you hope that one of the three will be that guy. Because, you know, think think about the way an NFL game goes. Uh-huh. How many times are they only going to have two wideouts out there? 
No, never. Never, right? No. The, the Bears are always going to have Not three. This team, right. And probably four at most points when the offense is running and cooking, right? Yeah. So if you have four guys that are out there, you're going to need at least two guys who are kind of slot-ish well, you, receivers. So you have right? them in Taylor Gabriel. And then you have, a big, you have a tight end. You have two tight ends. Right. So you really have a crop of like six possible guys that, that can, can be good wide receivers. And then, you Tariq know. Tariq out of the backfield. And the wild card will be Kevin White. And yeah. if Kevin White can give you something, all of a sudden now the entire group is upgraded. And, and it's really looking like a decent group. Now, I get it. Anthony Miller will be a rookie. And most rookie wide receivers struggle. Takes a while. But, but if he could become a player like Sterling Shepard for the Giants, I mean, he has been really good for Eli Manning and, and Odell Beckham Jr. to have another guy in the slot working on the yeah. same side with Odell sometimes. And then just going against linebackers or the safety has to come up and play and guard them. If that's the type of guy Anthony Miller is, I think it's a fantastic pick. Well, you know you know why I think it, 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 these receivers, I think people are getting excited about the receivers and for good reason because you've got a Matt Nagy offense instead of a Dow Loggins offense. Correct. Okay, You've got a guy, a, a quarterback now, who every time you've heard Mitchell Trubisky talk over the last couple of weeks, you heard him at a press conference up at Hallis Hall, you heard him on um, uh, the NFL TV, and you heard him on it was Good Morning Football. He was, he, he was jumping out of his skin. He's so excited about this offense. Yeah. Because he knows all the different weapons he's going to have. They'll call one play, and they got four different options off the play. And that's something that hasn't been here before. The Bears have never been known as an offensive juggernaut. Okay, ever, no, no. ever. The history of the game. No, they've never been known as an. When when Peyton was here, they were still a defensive team. Mm-hmm. They were always known as a defensive team. This might be the first year in the history of the Chicago Bears they're going to be a, a team that runs and wins on their offense, which is going to be great to see. And finally, they've reached the current age of the NFL. You've got to play good offense. And right, you know, they've been just muddling along the last couple of years. Now I think every all Bears fans are excited to see. And the worst part about it is, we'll be so excited and the preseason games will get here and they won't show us diddly for nope. five games. Not four. We five. got five. Because yeah. now we got the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. So we're going to see five games and, and we're going to get all geeked up for it and then we're going to see nothing. They're going to hand the ball off to Jordan Howard and they're going to throw little screen passes to Shaheen and they're going to throw a swing out to the side to uh, Tariq Cohen, plays we probably will never see during the year. On paper, they should be good, Fred. Yeah. But, you know, well, we'll they're, they're, coming, they're coming from the depths of uh, offensive horror from yeah. the last couple of seasons with Trubisky being neutered on the field, not, not with a full playbook, and learning as a rookie quarterback. Now he has some pieces around him, and we, we can take calls at 312-332-3776. Do you like this year's draft? Mel Kuyper Jr. on ESPN.com this morning giving the Bears a B plus. Okay. I like the draft. I don't see a lot of negatives. I get that in the later rounds, Fred, we have a couple of projects defensively um, with health issues. Hopefully these guys can stay on the field and make an impact. Hopefully they're just not bust outs and we never hear from them. But I think if Ryan Pace gets three starters from this group, this is going to be a positive draft in the future. They also had went out and got a bunch of uh, undrafted free agent signings. There's a whole list of it. I saw it on Patrick Finley's page, and it's appropriate because oh, we're going to talk to Patrick Finley when we come back from the Sun-Times. Chris Black, Fred Hubner here to 1130 on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. 
Welcome back in. Fred Hubner, Chris Black here until 1130 before we go to Game 7 of the NBA playoffs. You catch the Pacers and the Cavs right here on ESPN 1000. Also, you can catch it on ABC TV. But, Chris, we're going to talk some Bears football. And why not? After a grueling three days of draft, they finally know who their players are going to be when they go to mini camps and everything else and OTAs. And uh, we bring in our next guest on the studio, Hot Rods Hotline, Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times. He's been working overtime. I've been looking at his list of undrafted free agents. I've just brought up on the Sun-Times website, breaking down each of the seven selections. So there's no better person to talk to right now than our next guest, Patrick Finley. Patrick, how are you? I'm good. I, I like the word grueling to the to the draft. That's good. That, that's completely accurate. Uh, good call by you. Well, it's grueling. Plus, uh, from what I understand, they fed you okay at Hallis Hall, right? Yeah. No, it was actually pretty good. No complaints on that front. Uh, but uh, today will be fun because I can reacquaint myself with my three-year-old. It'll be it'll be nice. <laughs> Patrick, we're a couple days uh, out from the first pick, uh, Roquan Smith being selected by the Bears. Uh, after you've thought about it over the weekend, to me, it just looks better the more I think about it. What do you think about Smith being added to the linebacking core for the Chicago Bears? I think when you compare him to the guys that were available, I, I think that it was a slam dunk. Uh, you know, Ryan Pace talked last night about how he and Matt Nagy fell in love with his personality. This is a no-nonsense guy. This is a guy who's a leader. This is a guy who can be the quarterback of the defense. And the Bears really were missing one of those. You know, we had talked ourselves into Nick Kwiatkowski being a starter, and no offense to Nick, but, you know, there's not a dynamic, you know, playmaking skill set or personality there that, that Roquan has. So I think it was a great pick with what they had left. Now, we can debate, you know, separately whether in a perfect world you would have rather had Quentin Nelson, uh, but he never got that far, and the Bears never had that decision to make. Well, you know, you mentioned that, and in the first half hour I was talking, and I'm try- I don't know if I'm trying to legitimize it or if I truly believe it, but, you know, you looked at the start of the second round, and like three guards went before the Bears picked uh, and end up taking James Daniels, who they announced as a center. So immediately I go to Twitter and I just put, so white hair will go to guard? And I put a question mark. Well, Ryan Pace, they knew exactly what they want to do with James Daniels. They sat down and he basically said, no, no, no. Daniels is our guard. White- Cody's staying at center. Did that surprise you at all? Or, it, you know, were you? It did. Okay. Yeah, it did, and because as you said, when the team introduces a player as something, that typically tells you uh, what they have in mind for him. You know, we waited two hours, and then when we talked to Ryan Pace, he laid out the plan. And I guess I'm okay with it. I mean, Cody has been, you know, with the exception of a, you know a, a snapping snafu here and there early last year, Cody's been an above-average league center. And you know, to me, the thought process there is, you know, why move two positions when you can only move one? And, uh, you know, they can put Daniels in there, and, you know, Daniels can be their backup center. You know, he can fight with Eric Cush for that starting job. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me it makes sense. And, you know what, guys, when you look at this draft, you know, I keep getting back to, like, the football archetype. Like, SEC middle linebacker. Like, yes, you know, cross him off the list. Iowa center, yes, cross him off the list. You know, you get to Anthony Miller, you know. Mid-major wide receivers put up ridiculous numbers. I mean, those three picks, you know, fall into, uh, like I said, this football archetype group that typically does really well in the NFL. You know, you look at Josh Daniels, and I was kind of thinking of this. Um, what is more important to the long-term development of Trubisky? Is it 
pass protection or running the football? Because that's what I'm trying to figure out with the revamped offensive line now. What is more important to Trubisky going forward? Well, ideally, you don't have to choose one or the other. And, and ideally, the offensive line help that you get can help you both in pass and in the run. Uh, you know, when you look at what Nagy's going to do, there's going to be a lot of run-pass option, a lot of read-option stuff. Uh, so Mitch is going to have the ball in his hands as a runner a couple of times a game. Uh, to me, that's going to be a pretty dangerous situation there. You know, the reason that this isn't running the pros more is because professional guys hit harder and hurt you. So in that regard, I'd probably say run blocking just because if that saves Mitch from getting a clean hit on him once or twice a game, that will, uh, that will you know, have a pretty great value to them. But, you know, pass blocking, especially up the middle in front of him, the way the league is going now, you can rush the passer from inside. And you can't just, you know, bury your worst pass protector at guard anymore. So, uh, you know, being able to do both, I think, is going to be a pretty big deal. Uh, to watch him grow, to protect him, and, and to try to get him to be the best version of himself. There were a lot of uh, Bears fans after Cameron Meredith was not uh, picked up and kept here that said, well, in the draft, they're going to have to get a, a guy that's going to be a number two wide receiver. When the draft is over, they got an Anthony Miller, uh, but did you see them getting a number two wide receiver? And, and what are they going to do now with without? Well, I don't think they got one. So what are they going to do without a number two wide receiver? Just rely heavily <laughs> on Kevin White? Yeah, probably. And, you know, you need to think of Trey Burton as, as a potential number two wide receiver. The way that Nagy's offense works, Okay. Uh, you know, the, the tight end, the tight end splits out a lot. You know, that's a receiver. That's, you know, Burton's not going to get his nose dirty too many times of uh, blocking. So, so I think of him as, as that too. You know, still, he was the number three tight end on the Eagles. So, you know, I don't think we can write him in, you know, in pen as the Bears' second best pass catcher. Uh, but yeah, you know, you take all those guys combined, uh, and, and the Bears are hoping that they have something that resembles you know, five good receivers. You know, where this leads Kevin White, I think, is a really interesting conversation. You know, they're not going to pick up his fifth-year option uh, for uh, 2019. Uh, they have to make a decision here in the next couple of weeks, but they won't do it. So, you know, now you have to wonder whether he makes the team. I mean, you know, the Bears have devoted a roster spot to Anthony Miller now, and then their seventh-round pick, uh, if he's I- intriguing, you know, maybe that's another roster spot that could have gone to Kevin. Uh, or, you know, if Kevin looks great, he makes the club, he's playing for his next contract with somebody, uh, and they've got a motivated player there. What do you see from Javon Williams? Because he was a four-year player for Georgia. He developed late, but he's a guy that can go up and get it. So what do you think from him, the last pick for the Bears in the draft? Yeah, Javon Williams, he's kind of the anti-Miller. You know, he really looks the part. You know, he's he's big. He's uh, he's got great hands. Uh, he's you know he's got that good size. But this is a guy who you know only spent two years at Georgia. He went to two junior colleges before that, and you know that's you know sometimes a red flag when you look at the development of players. Uh, he is somebody who was the leading receiver on the second best team in football last year, and I think that that uh, is impressive, especially in the seventh round. But, you know, there's a reason he lasted until the seventh round. And, and I think you have to wonder about his feel for the game. This is a guy who thought he was a basketball player until he was a freshman in college for the most part. So uh, he doesn't have that undeniable uh, football skill right now that uh, you would expect from, like I said, the leading receiver on, you know, the national champion runner-up. Another minute to do with Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times here on ESPN 1000. Chris Black, Fred Hubner. Okay, EA Booneyway, but we're going to call him Iggy, right? 
Yeah, sure. <laughs> see, see, I have to learn how to spell it. Yeah. I mean, I'm far more, I mean, spelling it is far harder than pronouncing it. And so uh, we were actually joking uh, right before the draft pick was made. Uh, Adam Johns and I were sitting in the media room at Hallis Hall joking about, you know, who they were going to take. And I, I even said, hey, I don't care who they take as long as it's easy to spell. And then five <laughs> seconds later, they take this guy. So, uh, so I, I'll take uh, I'll take the blame for all this. Yeah, I mean, a kid that was uh, born in Chicago, raised in Bolingbrook until uh, he moved, and uh, actually getting a chance to play for the Bears. It's got to be interesting for him. But is is he? I mean, when you when you're Brian Pace, you need to have most of your draft picks make the team, right? And actually, eventually, make some kind of impact. Your fourth round draft pick better make the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, the idea is that on day one and two, you're drafting, you know, on day one, you're drafting a guy who can start right away. On day two, you're drafting a guy who uh, you'd love to start right away, but who's going to contribute. And on day three, you're looking for special teamers and flyers and lottery tickets and all of that sort of thing. Uh, you know, Iggy is that. Uh, he played outside linebacker two years ago inside this past year. He's a really interesting kid. He uh, is a pre-med student who wants to be a pediatrician. Part of the reason that he left Western Kentucky uh, after this past season when he could have stayed another one is because uh, he'd already graduated. And the only way he could keep playing was if he enrolled in some sort of grad program. And he didn't want to do a grad program. He wanted to do a medical program, and they didn't have it there. So he just said, the heck with it. I'll go to the NFL. Um, you know, he's got some athleticism there that the Bears really like. Uh, I think it's fair to wonder where he fits in. Because, you know, if you look at Danny Trevason, if you look at Roquan Smith, those are your two starting inside linebackers. If you look at Nick Kwiatkowski, that's three. And you usually keep four. And if you're, you know, you know, if you're handcuffed to keeping your fourth-round pick, hell or high water, uh, that could be pretty interesting. But, but the Bears saw something that they liked. He played special teams a lot at Western Kentucky, and that's probably going to be his meal ticket, at least for the first year here. So Ryan Pace in the fifth and the sixth round, he takes two defensive players on the defensive line, both with high ceilings but health issues in college. What do you see from those two guys? Yeah, I mean, a nose tackle from Delaware is something, isn't it? Uh, it's, uh, you know, they had an, an in there beyond just Matt Nagy. Uh, you know, they have an offensive uh, assistant uh, who came over after 17 years at Delaware. So this is a coach who knows him, knows him personally, was involved in his recruitment uh, and uh, can vouch for the kid. So that's, that's a benefit. If you're going to take a chance on a player like that, uh, it helps to have some inside information. You know, as for, uh, you know, Kylie Fitz, the uh, outside linebacker from Utah, you know, he started at UCLA and then transferred after a year. But he's got kind of, he's got the one thing that would scare me if I were uh, a Bears fan, and that is an injury history. You know, the team here over the last five years hasn't done a very good job with guys like that. Uh, you know, whether that's bad luck or not, I don't know. But, you know, two years ago, he had a list Frank injury in his right foot, and the list Frank is a very serious thing. You know, last year he had an ankle and he had a shoulder. He's hoping that it's just a run of bad luck and that that's why he was available that deep in the draft. But, you know, I think we've learned up here that when it comes to health and when it comes to this team in particular, uh, you can't make assumptions that everybody's going to be healthy. Uh, you know, you have to make them show you. And, and I think that that's what much of – the offseason in training camp will be like for him. It's just showing that he can go out there every day and take the pounding uh, that comes with the NFL. Patrick, by what they took in the draft and then uh, the un- uh, the um, undrafted free agents that they're bringing in, I'm looking at the list that you put out of those guys. Does this appear like they're very, very happy with their their secondary 
because I mean, there's a couple of guys, a guy from Dubuque and a guy from uh, LSU, but and, and also a safety from Texas Christian. But I mean, for the most part, unrestricted free agents aren't going to be starting usually. So you think they're pretty happy with what they got because they didn't go anywhere else, or do you think they're disappointed they weren't able to get somebody else in the secondary in the draft? Yeah, watch me plug this story. I'm working on something now for nice. uh, for nice. tomorrow's newspaper about kind of the winners and losers. Uh, on the Bears, and, and I think one of the standout winners here uh, is Adrian Amos. Sure. You know, he's a safety who, in an alternate universe, the Bears would have drafted his replacement with you know number eight overall. As it is now, he's entering the final year of his deal. He's a starter. He's probably going to get a contract extension. So, yeah, I think that shows you what they think of him. Um, you know, as for the undrafted guys, Michael Joseph's a great story. Uh, you know, he was from Dubuque. He's you know from the area here. Uh, didn't play in high school. Like literally played like you know. Three snaps a game in high school, uh, wound up walking on a Division three school, and uh, then wound up signing an NFL contract. That's a pretty great story. The kid from LSU was a five-star uh, who apparently has some attitude issues. Uh, so two ends of the spectrum there, and you hope you can catch fire with one of them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, their DBs entering the offseason, that was a giant question. And really what they did to address it is they brought the band back together. They you know, got Prince, got Kyle Fuller back, and really didn't do too much else. And, you know, you know, I still don't know who's going to step up for them uh, if Kyle Fuller gets hurt in week two. I mean, right now it might be Marcus Cooper, and, and that is a oh. scary thought indeed. Oh, yes, After it is. what happened last year. <laughs> right. Yeah, and someone, again, should show him where the where the goal line is. Uh, <laughs> Pat, Patrick, we appreciate you jumping on. We know it's been a busy time. Or reacquaint yourself with your youngster. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times. Make sure you catch his article tomorrow talking about that secondary. And you, you, you kind of thought there were some guys in the secondary that they may have gone after. I was pretty happy with their first three picks. I don't, I, I don't you know, it was funny. Right before, um, right after Daniels went, Cortland Sutton went, the wide receiver. And a lot of people said, a lot of Bears fans said, oh, he's a guy. Got to go out and get him. Yeah. The Bears decided, listen, we're going to get a guy to protect our quarterback, as opposed to we got to throw the ball to. And then there were still corners and safeties out there, and the Bears went for a wide receiver when they moved up in the draft, and then they didn't have a third-round pick. So, you know, it's interesting but to me, but, you know, they pretty much have to rely on those guys now. You're, you're going to have um, you're gonna have uh, Fuller, and you're going to have a Mukamara, and Eddie Jackson, and Adrian Amos. And those are your guys. That's the secondary you're rolling with. Fred, you know what's interesting is uh, that's something that we're going to have to watch because uh, they're not – are they up to par to compete with the Vikings and the Packers with that type of secondary? I mean, Aaron Rodgers will just pick that apart. You would think. So, so the equation has to be you have to get to the quarterback then. Yeah. You have to be disruptive yes, in the do. front seven. If that's your goal, then maybe they can get by with the secondary they have. Yeah. And maybe that's, that's fine if they can get to the quarterback. But – you got to do it now. Yeah. And you're relying on a lot of young players to get that done. Your thoughts on the Bears draft? You want to jump in? We'll have a couple minutes. 312-332-3776. Saad of Sharma from the Athletics. And join us talking some Cubs baseball, their first three-game winning streak. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000. Welcome back. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, we come back. We're going to have a chance to talk with Sahadab Sharma. That's always fun. And we'll talk Cub baseball. And that's fun right now, too, because the Cubs are actually playing well. It's a little sunny out. There's no rain. Sahadab's got to be happy about that. Sahadab, yeah. yes, so we'll coming talk up. Cubs baseball. They've got a three-game winning streak. They go for four in a row. They take on the Brewers this afternoon. It's Chris Black, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000. Sahadab!
This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cubs win. Cubs win. Chicago's game day. He's at the wall. He leaps. He got it. He got it. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Huebner along with Chris Black here until 1130, usually till noon, and usually with Adam Abdallah, but Abdallah's decided to take a couple weekends off. You know what's weird is he has the day off, but he's just firing off hot takes left yeah, and right from the, wherever he's at. He whatever little from right here. Yeah, whatever <laughs> little hole he's hiding in, he's yeah. just firing off hot takes because he can't like the Bears draft. I mean, this guy, ridiculous. Yeah. Now he's he's uh he'll be back here eventually. Uh yeah. one of these weekends. We'll see. Yeah. And uh, but at eleven thirty <laughs> we're going to the pregame for game seven, the Cavs and the Pacers. See if LeBron advances to the next round. You can hear the game right here on ESPN 1000. You can catch the game on ABC 7. Also, uh, it's baseball, and the Cubs go for a four-game winning streak. Heck, they just got their first three-game winning streak of the season yesterday with a nice 3 nothing win over the Milwaukee Brewers. And to talk some Cubs baseball, we bring in on our studio Hot Rods hotline from The Athletic, it's Sahadev Sharma. Sahadev, how are you today? I'm doing well, guys. Just heading over to the ballpark to Cubs can polish off the sweep of the Brewers. Well, you know, they, it, it just Joe just had to find his leadoff guys. He's got Almora, <laughs> he's got Baez. Just leave it. I know. I heard. I heard someone ask the other day. You know, Joe, do you see any uh, chance that you might change the top of the lineup? And he just said, "Yeah, there's a chance," and that was his answer. Um, but you know, it, it, it looks pretty nice when you put Almora and Baez there, and they're both riding career high eleven game hit streaks. Sure. I mean, just write it when it's hot, right? I, I don't think he should uh, mess with it now, and obviously he agrees with that. He keeps putting it out there, uh, those two at the top. I, I mean, if you really watch Elmora, he's on a hot streak, and he's, he's not an ideal leadoff guy. He he doesn't take many pitches. He, he's pretty aggressive, and, and it's working for him right now, so don't mess with it, but... Uh, I worry about when he does when when he does start to you know more balls find gloves and, and he's making more outs. He's not the type of guy that's going to get on base and work a count and still be productive in, in that fashion. So there is going to be a slump at some point, and it's not going to look as, as nice as it does now. But just write it while it works. And, and there's a guy in Ben Zobris if he's healthy. That if Elmore isn't working anymore at the top, I think Joe would be very comfortable going to so. Yeah, it's worked really well having Baez and Almora at the top of the lineup, especially when one gets on base and the other knocks the other guy in. Um, Almora defensively, how much of an upgrade has that been? And is that part of the change plus the pitching staff recently in the last week? Yeah, I think Almora defensively, he's, you know, at times you can, especially early last year, when people were starting to wonder, is this guy as good as he was? labeled in the minors and, and you know maybe he's not Byron Buxton he's not Kevin Pillar out there he's not he's not an easy gold glove uh winner but he's making gold glove plays right now and he looks like a plus plus uh, center fielder so yeah he's definitely better than Ian Happ who's still learning the position getting comfortable with the position uh, I think he's a clear upgrade over what the Cubs have had in center field of late and he's the guy the best defensive outfielder uh, center fielder for them right now so uh, I think it makes sense uh, that that's why 
you've seen some better play of late with the pitching as well. The defense has stepped up and made things easier. Yeah, you mentioned the pitching. I was just going to get to that because when the Cubs put this pitching together uh, and started last year actually bringing Quintana in and then signing Darvish and bringing Chatwood in, they said, look, you know, you look at it, Lester, Hendricks, uh, Darvish, Quintana, they expected better at the start of the season, or at least the fans did. I don't know if the Cubs organization sure. did, but right now, over these last five games, I mean, I think we're starting to see what the Cubs expected from this pitching staff. Sure, and there's good signs, especially. I thought Quintana pitched well in the previous start in uh, Colorado as well. If you look at the box score, it's going to tell you differently. But two of those runs came when uh, Jason Hayward lost the ball in the sun. Uh, the other two were home runs. You know, it, you don't want to make excuses. It's uh, Blackman and Arenado in Colorado. They were struck well. They were mistakes by Quintana. But overall, I feel like the pitching staff has looked good uh, a little over one time through the rotation. Uh, ever since Darvish's poor start, they've, they've really uh, put things together and gone on a nice little run. Uh, the team looks better overall. I mean, I guess that you know that that solves all your problems when the pitching's going well. Uh, even though the offense hasn't really been knocking the cover off the ball against the Brewers, it hasn't mattered. And I think we've gotten to the point, or at least I have, watching this offense, I trust that they will break out for more runs sooner rather than later. Rizzo's going to get going. Bryant just came back. There's so many guys in the lineup that, you know, one guy goes cold. You have to believe that this offense can, can keep going. And when the pitching performs like they have of late, it, 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 they look like the team that everyone expected coming out of the season. You mentioned Chris Bryant. Yesterday he went 0 for 3. He had a walk. First game returned after getting hit in the helmet with a fastball up and in. Uh, anything from Chris Bryant, Bryant post game? All right. I wasn't there yesterday, but I don't think there was anything that uh, you know that stood out or, or acting like it. he you know he wasn't comfortable. It sounded from I talked to Patrick Mooney about what was going on yesterday. Any vibe? Any different? Uh, any weirdness out there uh, with him? And it, it sounds like he he felt fine and he's just happy to get out there. Uh, and it was more just about you know being cleared and, and feeling comfortable and. and uh, you know, now I think he's excited to get back in the box. I don't think he's he's going to be too concerned about it. You know, something to watch as a as a observer of the team and then see if if these those offers continue. But he looked like a normal his normal self in the in the box. There's not many people who work a two strike count better than him, and he looked perfectly comfortable doing that multiple times yesterday. Saad Sharma from The Athletic joining us for a few minutes here on ESPN 1000. You know, coming into the season and the offseason, a lot of people said, man, those Brewers are going to be tough. You got Lorenzo Cain, you got Yelich coming in, this, 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 and this. Um, how much do you think the Cubs heard that during the offseason? And now they're off to a 6-1 and one start against Milwaukee. You think there's a little bit of an extra emphasis, or do you think it's just, you know, it, it's hard to get it out of players. They'll say, no, we just take each game one at a time. But do you think there was a little extra when they played the, the Brewers? I think there's uh, when they play division rivals, they definitely are aware. Now, they're not going to say, you're right, there is going to be uh, some people who say, oh, it's just another game, we just got to win uh, every game with the team that's out there, we, we got to perform against them. But there are others who will stand up and say, it's division games, we have to win these games. They're supposed to compete, we got to beat the Brewers and Cardinals. The guys will say that, guys know that, and I, and I think... Uh, I think when you get this early lead on a team that's trying to unseat you as a division winner, get a little confidence, and, and you're still beating them up, even in close games, it, it's got to knock down their confidence a little, get in their head a little. Uh, you know, I mean, Joe said it all in 2015. Remember when the Cardinals kept beating up on the Cubs? The Cubs are trying to break through. 
the Cardinals just kept beating up on them. And right at that point, the Cubs were desperate. Just weren't in the. They may have been as talented as the Cardinals, but mentally they couldn't overcome that hump, and it was a frustrating thing to watch for the Cubs. And I think the Brewers are in a similar place. Uh, I'm not sure if, if they'll get the opportunity to unseat uh, the Cubs in the playoffs, but I'm sure that that's what they're hoping that, that they figure out that they take these beatings early and figure and learn something from it, like the Cubs did uh, three years ago against the Cardinals. What's up with Anthony Rizzo? Yeah, that's a it's a fair question. I'm not sure if there's a good, you know, like mechanical answer or if he's doing something wrong at the plate. Last I asked Joe about it, he basically said he's trying too hard. I feel like I've seen some better at that, some better stuff offensively, uh, line drives for out, uh, just not finding a hole. Early on, you couldn't make that excuse. You couldn't say that. I mean, there were a lot of pop up, uh, weak contact with men on base, a lot of missed opportunities, especially with men on third, less than. Less than two outs. He was one of the main culprits uh, uh, for the Cubs' early struggles with that. And you wouldn't think that because this is a guy that walks a lot, makes a lot of contact, doesn't strike out very much. He's not doing all those things. At least the first few weeks he was, and he started to look a little bit better. I, I just don't believe that Anthony Rizzo is going to struggle for much longer. It's just it, he has too much of a resume and too, uh, too much talent to really, to really continue to struggle. I think he'll figure it out. I think the last few days were a good sign, so uh, I expect some big, big games from him real soon. Okay, now let's just change the name and repeat <laughs> Chris's question. What is wrong with Addison Russell? <laughs> See, now that's a different story because he doesn't have the resume, right? He right. We can't just say, oh, I, I trust Addison Russell will start hitting because we don't know. We don't know if that's going to happen. We don't know if the changes that he's been working on a really taken home. We don't know any of these things yet, so we need to see it before we really believe it. Uh, I think I think with him, it's, it's going to, you know, it's, it's, I haven't seen any of that hard contact. Well, well, we saw a couple of hard-hit balls in Cleveland, I want to say, and that's about it. There's been a lot of pop-ups, a lot of weak grounders, even his hits haven't been all that great. So I think, uh, you know, Joe gave him a vote of confidence yesterday, even though he wasn't starting. I think people are going to start to wonder when do you start to play hobby more at short if this continues. But it hasn't, it, it hasn't extended uh, deep into the season yet for us to really, for Joe to really start pulling back on that. And you have to give credit for his defense. He, he looks very good at short. He's making better throws, not making the mistakes that we've seen in the past. Uh, he just looks like a cleaner uh, shortstop right now than he has in the past. And, uh, and that, and I think that's a big, uh, big aspect of it. Uh, his defense is going to get him uh, more time than his, while his bat is, is you know, whatever is going on right now, which isn't pretty, obviously. You know, with the Aston Russell storyline, if the Cubs weren't ninth in runs scored so far to this point in the season, would this Aston Russell struggling be a bigger storyline? I think we lost ours. Yeah, we're still. Fred, what do you them. think? Uh, yeah. If if Aston Russell was struggling and the Cubs weren't ninth in runs scored, what, what do you think? Wouldn't this be a bigger story? But since the Cubs are are scoring so many runs right. in many of these games early on, top ten in offense, you look at it and it's like we can live with it because we have this. Yeah. Because Bias has been out of his mind to start the season. Because Almora is hitting at the top of the lineup. Chris Bryant, when he's been in there, has been super productive, one of the best players in baseball. 
Yeah, I, I think it would be. I, I don't think there's any doubt that it would be a, a, a bigger question um, because, you know, you'd see some emphasis. There's enough other guys picking him up in the lineup. Let's go, let's go back to Zada as, as he gets closer to the ballpark. I, I think it's all the construction around Wrigley Field. Yeah, the new hotels, it, yeah. the new, yeah. yeah there's all, all this stuff. new stuff over there. <laughs> all right, right Zahada. So, like, if the Cubs weren't ninth in runs scored so far to this point in the season, would this Aston Russell storyline be bigger? I think I think it would be. I completely agree with you. I think if they, uh, if they you know, a guy. Yeah, you know, Zahada, we're going to let you go. It's got nothing to do with you. It's just I love Zahada, it's just, but your it's, phone sucks. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just it, it's a continued construction around Wrigley Field. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. We'll talk about beverages maybe next time we talk to you. Okay. All right, take care, guys. Sorry about the phone. No, that's that's okay. right. I love you, Zahada. Uh, Zahada Sharma <laughs> from the Athletic, and uh, no, and Chris, I agree with you because you know when you're when a team's winning, they can they can deal with one or two guys struggling, and when you've got the guys at the top of the order and you've got the pitching going, uh, and, you know Schwarber's doing pretty well. Um, Hayward, for all the bashing people give Hayward, Hayward actually is doing a pretty good job this year. Yeah. Um, he struggled in the outfield the last week or so, which is weird. But that's because of the sun and sun and the wind. Uh, and I don't know how it's jumped up over the last year. Yesterday, he made a nice play. Uh, the left fielder held on to the ball. He kept coming and scored the third run on a single. He should have been stopped at third, but he was. It was a heads up play by him or the third base coach. I'm not sure which, but that was nice to see. So uh, Addison Russell's a guy that, and I, I've mentioned it three years ago. I predicted he mm-hmm. would be a 30 home run guy. And then right. he went off in spring training and had, or, or he went off that next year. He had 21. And I said, okay, he's going to get there. And like the last month, he had like two and didn't do anything. And, um, since then, and we, we all know about problems that he had last year, uh, on and off the field or mainly mm-hmm. off the field. And, uh, this year, it's just, it, he just doesn't seem to be hitting the ball. And he'll get, he'll hit his streaks. Um, but I don't think that he's, and, and the funny thing is, remember in the off season, there were a lot of people, some Cub fans, some not Cub fans, that said, you gotta move one of those guys if you wanna get somebody else back. If you yeah. wanna get another pitcher, another player's gonna help, you can move either Russell or Baez. Move Russell, put Baez at short. Some people said move Baez and, you know, fill in at second base, whatever. I think eventually, Eventually, one of those guys is going to be moved. I don't think they'll be here for extended periods of time. Well, you have three players who could play two positions. You have Ian Happ, and yeah. I know he's had his struggles as well. And Fred, if you go back to 2016, Aston Russell played in 151 games. He had 67, or he had 125 hits, 67 runs scored. He had the 21 home runs, like you said. He had 55 walks, 135 strikeouts. Yeah. His average was 238, uh, 321, and 417 were his slash lines. You go to next year, so so 2017, and like this is why it's a, a interesting uh, storyline to me is because this isn't just he's starting slow this year. Aston Russell last year was not the player he was in 2016. No. Last year, he only had 84 hits. He had 12 home runs. He struck out 91 times, only had 29 walks. And then if you look at his slash lines, he did play fewer games, but he had 91 strikeouts. Yeah. In fewer games, the the hits didn't match like it did the year before. And if you look at the averages, fine. He didn't, he played fewer games. Look at the averages. His batting average was only. One percentage point above, 339. His on-base percentage was 304. And his slugging percentage was 418. 
Last year, he was only a 2.4 war player. Yeah. That's... I mean, so to me, if, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm kind of questioning what's going on, what the future is for Aston Russell, because we have some sample size here. Yeah. We have a season where he played really well, and I agreed with you at the time. I thought there was another step above so what I. he did in 2016. I think a lot of people did. I know that you said 30 home runs. You were the first person in the city that said Aston Russell next year will hit 30 home runs. And I didn't I didn't laugh at that. I was no. like, I, I could see that progression. Yeah, it, it, yeah, right. The progression. And the problem is he's not progressed. No, he's, he's taken a step back. Yeah. So that leads me to believe if you're only looking at the sample size, his numbers in 2017 look a lot like his numbers did in 2015, which would tell me that the player he really is is a guy who kind of struggles with average, doesn't give you a whole lot of pop at the plate, home run-wise, right. only hitting 13 home runs in 2015, 12 in 2017. He has no home runs at this point this year. He's a guy that strikes out quite a bit. He doesn't really walk as much. I That's probably the player you have in Aston Russell. Great in the field, yeah. but I wonder how long uh, for the Cubs long-term you can stick with this and not play Ian Happ at second, Javi Baez at shortstop. Yeah, because, of the, I mean, especially if Happ's bat comes around, and I think it's starting to come around, he's he's uh, he's kind of stopped that strikeout streak and probably had a little bit. Well, so let, let, let me ask you this, and if you want to join the conversation, 312-332-3776. Okay, so what is, what is the level of drop-off? If you put Ian Happ at second, Javi Baez at shortstop, what's the level of drop-off? defensively between Baez and Russell in your interior uh, infield up the middle compared to Hap and Baez up the middle, but the offensive production. Right. Right, because now you're getting offensive production from one of the guys, but they have elite defensive uh, playmaking sure. going up the middle. You, right. What What is the difference in drop-off between Russell and Baez and Baez and Hap but you also have to factor in that Bison Hap will probably give you more offensive punch. Yeah, I don't think Hap's not a butcher, uh, you know, no. in second base. No. He played second base in the minors when he came up, and then they said, okay, we're going to put you in the outfield because you may end up having to play outfield when you get to the big leagues. I, I don't think it's enough to, um, to prevent them from making some kind of move. Um, they like right now the flexibility, but Russell's back in the lineup today after getting sat yesterday. Um, some people thought they may, you know, they may have benched him yesterday. Just sat him down, sit down, watch because you're struggling big time. It'll be interesting for me to see Russell today. Uh, the lineup is out and, uh, Almora and Baez back in the, uh, first two spots and why not? Then Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras, Schwarber in left, Russell at short, Hayward in right, and Chatwood, um, on the, on the hill. So, uh, you know they, it's it's big for them to get to get another win over Milwaukee. You know, beat Milwaukee and beat those division opponents as much as you can. And uh, this 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 National League Central a lot closer, I think, than a lot of people thought it was going to be. Because right now there are four teams within a half game of the lead, and then Cincinnati's ten games back. You know, Chris Bryant was a cat can't miss. Yep. Wouldn't you say that Addison Russell was the other prospect that most people thought was pretty pretty obviously going to be the hit player out of all the collection of prospects that Theo collected? Yeah, and yeah, you know, he got him. From, he brought him over for, in a trade from mm-hmm. the A's, and uh, yeah, I think everybody thought this. Look at this kid. Look where he has his at now, and he's only going to get better. And he he hasn't. So, Fred, you're a longtime baseball guy, a good baseball guy. They always say that about baseball yeah. people. He's a he's a good baseball man. Um, so what do you think? If you sit him down for an extended period, 
and you insert Ian Happ, what can a player like Asin Russell ever get back? Like, do you think that that would completely shatter his confidence at probably, the dish? Probably. Probably. Like, if they sent him down to the minors, which I know is a drastic comment for me to say, but they sent Schwarber down to the minors last year, and yeah. Schwarber has turned Not it better. around, and he has been fantastic early here in the season. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's... Uh, probably for the Cubs, it might be out of the question. I don't know that it would be if I was there. Um because yeah, if, you if, if you were running things, you gotta, you what, what gotta would you shock do? Him some way. You got to get him right, and he's not right right now. Uh, unless Joe and Chili Davis see something in him that they think is correctable. Uh, if they don't think it's correctable, then I, you know, um, it's early, but there's no home runs. No, I know he's not showing. He's not showing much of anything at the plate right now. And of course, today he'll hit two homers. <laughs> well, five and five. That would be good. That would be that would really be great good. to see yeah. because the Cubs do need him because. You also don't want to get in a spot when we get to October where you know that Aston Russell is an automatic out at nope. the back end of the nope. lineup, and then you have Jason Hayward at the back end of the lineup, and then you also have a pitcher. So you don't want to go into playoff games where you have three guys in your lineup who you know the other pitching staff can say, all right, here we go, one, two, three, bang. Yeah, and you mentioned also about the number of runs they're scoring. Right now, their run differential is plus 33, and I'm looking at a quick perusal. Uh, the Red Sox are 58, Yankees 46, uh, Astros 62, the Cubs are uh, fifth, because Arizona's at 41, plus 41. So the Cubs' run differential is fifth best in baseball. They've won three in a row. They're on a bit of a roll. They're fourteen and ten, the best they've they've been playing this year. And it all it, it's the c- complete team effort. They haven't been scoring a lot of runs the last couple of games, but they've been getting their pitching. Yeah. And Brandon Morrow, a guy that we I, I was going to talk to Asahadov about this, but a guy that we didn't see the first two weeks of the season pretty much. We weren't even. Yeah. I mentioned I thought Brandon Morrow was a figment of our imagination that he really didn't exist because we didn't see him. You know what? He he's come in. And his uh, ERA is a figment of everyone's imagination. It's zero. He nice. hasn't given up anything. That was well done. That, that, that was like a late night newscaster. Yeah. Uh, sure, that was Gene Greco style right there. That was out, that was outstanding. He hasn't given up a thing. <laughs> he's got a zero point zero zero ERA. He's come in and done the job. And you think yeah. about it. I think it's six times. He's six for six on his save opportunities. He didn't get any early, but he's gotten them late, and uh, that's perfect. You you have a guy like that, and you have a nice little setup with. with with C-Shack coming in, Strope and Edwards, their bullpen uh, is, is really good. Now, it'll hit down times. Sure. It always does. Everybody's bullpen does. But right now, with the number of guys they have coming out of the pen, if their pitching staff can give them like the last couple of days, Darvish gave them six, Quintana gave them seven, that's what you need. And that's why you have starting pitching. And I'd love to see a guys go six and seven, and then you don't need to use four and five and six um, guys oh, yeah. out of the bullpen. Just look at the last week. One uh, time through the rotation, you have five of the Cubs' 12 quality starts taking place in the last five games. Yeah. That's all you need to know. If they pitch like this, this can be one of the best teams in baseball. If they don't, then there are some concerns. So we'll continue talking baseball. My uh, baseball notebook, we come back. Yes. Uh, a guy with his first hit in the big leagues, and uh, he did a lot more than that. And We'll talk about... Um, the big panda. He was on the hill. What happened? Did he trip and fall? Catching a fly ball? No, he did more than that. We'll talk about all that and more. Chris Black, Fred Huebner, here for another hour before we go to Cavs and Pacers. Game 7. You can hear it right here on ESPN 1000. 
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Welcome in every set Sunday, Saturday. I do Sunday, Fred. I do it's Sunday. I do my baseball notebook on Saturday. Just nobody hears me. I'm it's, sitting it's, at home doing it myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's the brunch day. It's yes. Sunday. Everyone goes out to brunch. We're the pregame show for Tracy Butler's church visit. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, later on today, after you watch a lot of sports, then you get the Sunday scaries. But right now is Fred's MLB notebook time. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, things to talk about in Major League Baseball. We gave you the uh, Cubs lineup, and uh, it's not much different um, than it's been in the past with Elmora and Baez at the top of the order. Uh, Schwarber is hitting sixth, Russell seventh, Hayward eighth, Chatwood on the hill. As for the White Sox, Moncada, Sanchez, Abreu, Delmonico, Davidson, Polka. We'll talk more about him in a second. Anderson, talk more about him also. Larry Garcia and Narvaez with Hector Santiago uh, getting the start. Santiago is actually getting in because this is game five of a five-game series. They had a day-night doubleheader yesterday, so Santiago is pitching out of the bullpen. Now, uh, Daniel Polka, he is a guy the White Sox called up with Avi Garcia on the DL. They needed another guy to be in the um you know to be able to play outfield so what do they do they bring up this kid polka and he went over his first eight okay then yesterday came about in the first game of the doubleheader here is former minor leaguer daniel polka looking for that first major league hit and there it is a slice to left field and daniel polka not satisfied with his first major league hit he's got two in a row about me that nobody else knew about me and he said look you come inside with that fastball as this one goes to left field and deep, and this is off the wall for Daniel Polka, who is three for three. He used to have a couple of different woods. Yeah. But now, not anymore. <laughs> Daniel Polka lights this baby up into right center field, and it's gone! Daniel Polka's first career home run. And what a day for him. Uh, Jason Benetti, Steve Stone on uh, Channel 9 uh, between their storytelling had time to call the plays and the at-bats from <laughs> Daniel Polka. And uh, he had, went four for five yesterday. His first four major league hits, including a three-run homer, White Sox, an 8 nothing win yesterday. And then they lost the nightcap. Four for five, Fred. You know what that is? What? That's some good Sox math. Yes, it is. It's really good Sox like math. Yes. You know, anytime you run a thing like Sox math and you knew how to, tur- <laughs> how, how to, how to tweak me here, uh, they, have the same, they have the same winners all the time. And then they were yeah. saying, well, if this guy wins again, we're, we're not going to let him win. Well, then don't do Sox math. Because nobody else cares about it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Now, there is another story last night because Tim Anderson led off the nightcap with a home run okay. for the White Sox. And the White Sox ended up losing that contest. But there was a time in the game where Salvador Perez and Tim Anderson were like jawing back and forth at each other. The bench is emptied. The bullpen's emptied. And lots of yapping and talking, and finally they shook hands and everything. Hmm. Well, here's what Salvador Perez, he had a problem. Because when Tim Anderson got to the plate, he, like, looked to the skies, looked to the heavens, and I don't know if he said something, or Salvador Perez didn't take too kindly to it. So anyway, after the game, Salvador Perez says, as soon as he scored, I was like, hey, bro, 
That was the second time. He did that on opening day, too. He did the same thing, said a bad word. Ooh, I don't know what that bad word was. Hmm. He don't even play a blank in playoff game. He don't know what getting excited or not's about. He got to be in the playoffs to be excited like us. We got a World Series to get what? excited like that. That's a game. That's a simple game. That's the second time, so I said something to him. Now, being the older baseball guy, there's a lot of these unwritten baseball rules, which I still abide by. Yeah. Uh-huh. But this is stupid. I mean, you, you think? know, he hits a home run. If you don't want him to hit the home run, then don't let him hit the home run. Call a better pitch and have your pitcher put it in a better spot. But I have no problem with Tim Anderson getting excited when he crosses the plate after a home run to lead off the game. That's always my uh, problem with people who have a problem with sportsmanship. Because usually the sorry loser is getting mad because someone's celebrating when they beat them. Yeah. Well, don't let them beat you and then they won't celebrate. How about that? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so based on that rule... Only players who have made the playoffs and have won something in the playoffs in yeah. baseball are allowed to celebrate from here on out. I know. It all made, right, baseball. Made no sense. Absolutely no That's sense. That's outstanding. Yeah, no wow. sense at all. Um, Saturday's 4-3 win by the Arizona Diamondbacks in 10 innings against the Nationals and improved them to 19-7. and It matches the franchise's best start. The win against Washington also guaranteed Arizona its ninth straight series win to begin the season. The last National League team to open the season with nine straight series wins, the 1907 Cubs. Wow. And you know those 1907 Cubs, uh, 11 straight series they ended up winning to open the season. And I'm pretty sure the 1907 Cubs won the World Series. Yes. Yeah, that was. uh, they they had some time before the next one, right? Yes, a little bit of time. Yeah. Just a little bit of time. Uh, Some other things. We talk about pace of play in baseball. Rob Manfred's trying to fix it. He came out last week and said, ah, the pace of play is all working. Well, Scott Miller, baseball uh, guy from Bleacher Report and Turner Sports, he put a tweet out yesterday. He said, across Major League Baseball, 33% of plate appearances this year have ended in a strike, a walk, or a hit-by-pitch. And uh, into today, there have been 389 more strikeouts than hits. Talk about pace of play all you want, but the lack of putting the ball in play has passed epidemic and reached crisis point. Now, Joe Madden talks about it every once in a while. He says, listen, you got to move the ball around. You can't just swing for the fences. Yeah. you got to hit the other way. you got to do these things. Now, Joe Madden doesn't talk about it much when his team gets a 3 nothing win in a nice pitch game or when his team belts four home runs. But there's numerous times last year where Joe Madden said after the game, we're not doing well, we're not doing a good job moving the ball around. And... As a guy who's watched baseball for a long time, it's a completely different game than it it was before. And some people like it. I love baseball, so I'm trying to adjust to it. But I hate that 33% of the plate appearances end in a strike, a strikeout, a walk, or a hit by pitch. You know, go back to Friday. What happened in Friday's game? Javi Baez put the ball in play, yeah. and the shortstop had an error, and the Cubs got runs from that, right? Yep. Because he put it in, in play, play, and that's the key. Yeah. Don't strike out in a situation like that. Make a baseball player, make make him make a play. Yeah. How many times do we see someone out in the field bumble a ball, miss it, completely botch it? That's a part of 
putting pressure on the defense. And when you have strikeout or home run, right. there is no pressure on the fielders who are in the in the game. Yeah, and Baez is really good at doing things on the bases. Yes, to when, put pressure on the defense as well. Yes. To make them make plays. Yes. Now, he'll get thrown out sometimes right. looking, looking bad doing it. But what he's trying to do is make, put, the, put the pressure on the defense because he knows they have to make the perfect throw in order right. to get him out. Yeah, I think what last week in, Cal- in Colorado wasn't there. When he went to third base and he went to third ball. and yeah, it was, it was not wrong play. Wrong play, but as safe. they said on the telecast, is they had to make a, a perfect throw yeah. to get that done, and that's like a a double element that you have to perform right. to get him out, opposed to just standing there and doing nothing. Yeah, throw's got to be good, the tag's got to be there, and neither one was, and he he actually beat it out. So it's those are some of the fun things in baseball. Those are the things yeah. you don't talk about. You and I, and we talked about it. We watch quick pitch and it's just there's another home run there's another home run there's there's even another home run hey yesterday this guy wasn't hitting home runs the opponents were uh but not against him because he actually went to the mound pablo sandoval pitched you see his motion (laughs) not a bad motion and in a great position i mean this is That was that was Mike Kruko, former Cub, uh, laughing there. As he, Pablo he was Sandoval. perfect, right? He looked good. All he, right. Yeah, I think he went, he went uh, three up, three down. Looked really good. He had a nice uh, wind-up, nice pitch. And uh, Pablo Sandoval, maybe the uh, Giants found another reliever. They got blown out in that game, and that's why he was on the hill. Now, team's playing very, very well. The American League East right now, the Red Sox have a two-game lead over the Yankees. Boston's 19-7. and seven. Yankees have won eight straight. They're still two games back. Yep. Toronto is 14 and 12. The Tampa Bay Rays are 12 and 13. They're a game under 500, but they've won eight games in a row. And yesterday they played Boston. Denard Spann now playing for the Rays. And a liner in the center of base hit. Ramos is going to be waved around, and down goes Bradley Jr. That ball's going to go all the way to the wall. Spans hitting third and will be waved home. The Rays are going to take the lead. It's a two-to-one ball game. Jackie Bradley Jr. has struggled mightily against Rays, but the defense has been good. Watch him get handcuffed right there. That ball had a little action on it, and he basically overran it. That's a long way to go out there to beat center field. Highlights courtesy MLB.com. Denard Spam with an inside the park homer. Tampa Bay Rays with a win. They've won eight in a row and still a game under 500. Starting the day today, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers are all a half game back of the Pirates. Pirates have won four straight. Cubs go for their fourth in a row today. The White Sox are eight and 17. That's not good. No, not good at all. Uh, <laughs> April 11th was when uh, we had our first two teams get to 10 wins on the season. The Angels and the Mets both were 10-3 uh, and three for the Angels, 10-1 and one for the Mets. Today, we will probably get the first two teams to get to 20 wins on the season. Like you said, the Red Sox have 19 wins or 19-7. and seven, yeah. And also, the Arizona Diamondbacks, 19-7 and seven on the season. So we'll see if they get to 20 wins today. Yeah, they've won three in a row. Uh, the Red Sox are going to have to snap a losing streak because they've been playing the Rays. So that's the uh, baseball notebook for the week. And uh, we'll do it again next week as we always do. Uh, we come back. We'll take a look at a little bit of baseball and also something that happened on the pitch yesterday. Oh, yes. Soccer. Yes, a little bit of soccer. Love Before it. we get to the top of the hour, Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus will join us. We'll talk about the NFL draft, his opinions, not only of the Bears pick, but of the draft overall. It's Chris Black, Fred Hubner, right here on ESPN 1000.
This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you. We're going to talk a lot of Bears draft and NFL draft. Top of the hour as Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus joins us. And uh, yesterday there was... Uh, the draft, and it, I thought the draft usually the final day went quickly. It lasted a long time yesterday. I know it's four rounds, but I thought they made it, you know, like five minutes and like three minutes. I thought they used to cut it down so the fourth through fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds were quicker. Yeah, poor, uh, forever. poor Mel, Trey, Tide, all melting in the Dallas sun in the yeah. heat. Uh, it was fun to watch, time. though. It's fun to have it in the background. Uh, you kind of pay attention That's to your team is. to see if the Bears are going to reach for someone, which they may have done uh, towards the end in the fifth and the sixth round. I like the seventh round pick from Georgia. I like a wide receiver that gives you some production, not just a project guy. And I know that he's an older player, too, so we'll see if that works out for him. But, yeah, watching the draft, I it did seem like it used to be a lot quicker. But, you know, they have a lot of good stories. Like you saw the... Um, Story of Shaquille Griffin. You saw him and his brother up right. on stage with uh, Trey Wingo and and Lewis Riddick and everyone. And it's such a great story, and it was fun to watch. I, I like watching the draft. I didn't, I didn't ask you about this, but uh, night two of the draft, uh, after the Bears made their second round pick uh, in James Daniels, I kind of went away from it because I knew the Bears didn't yeah. have any more picks, and I had it out in the background, and I had it. Um, ESPN went to a basketball game mm-hmm. and then they moved it to a different channel and on my tv i just threw it i threw up i threw i didn't throw up yet but i threw fox over onto the i uh, didn't know you were feeling bad yeah i threw <laughs> fox over onto my other tv uh and rich eisen was on so i definitely had the sound off so and then all of a sudden i see a thing that says the bears pick is in i go what the hell's going on yeah wh- i didn't know about this trade from? yeah because i wasn't i wasn't constantly on twitter or anything like that i didn't know there was a trade and then they trade up and get anthony miller did you how did you feel about giving up a second round pick next year and one of the fourth rounds in order to get another pick on day two because the bears had the one pick in james daniels then they didn't have any more how did you feel about uh, pace moving up to get another pick i don't like it on principle I understand why it was done because this draft class has to produce a Ryan Pace. Okay. So if he's uh, mortgaging the future to get production now, I get it because his past drafts have been lackluster when you look at the depth of the drafts. And he reached last year to get Trubisky. Whether or not we can argue about Trubisky's ceiling you can't question that nobody was going to take Trubisky where the Bears are going to take him anyway, and right. the 49ers played them. So I understand why he did it. I would not be pro giving up picks because that's how you make your team in the league, and I know that's an obvious statement, but what I mean by that is teams that are good always draft well, and they have depth. And if you can't do that and you're just giving up picks for the future, at some point that's going to come back to bite you. But if you're someone that needs to produce now, like – Right, so if the, if he only gets one player from this draft, what do you think going forward is going to happen? Do you think how much time do you think Ryan Pace will have if he does if he gets one player from this draft? Right, but he's got to get three. And if yeah. Trubisky is average or okay, chances are Ryan Pace won't be here for long, yeah. and that's the reality. So I get why he did it because he needs to supply Trubisky with weapons now. 
And that's why he made the move to move up and select another player. And ESPN, the three players that he selected are all ranked overall in the top 50 of the draft. So the Bears got three players ranked before the draft that fall into the top 50 players. I That's really good. I get that he gave up picks. It's going to come back to bite him. But if it works out for this year, he might save his job going forward because... He was able to get guys from this year. And I agree with you, Fred. I was uh, I was at Old Crow Smokehouse yeah. and right here in River North. And we were watching both basketball games. The draft was on. There were two baseball games. We had all going on. And I was like, wait, hold on. The, the Bears are picking again? I yeah. thought they were done. I yeah, thought, I wait, what's going on here? It's, it's interesting to follow the draft without being on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, it's great. You know, like it kind of makes it a fun television event instead of just paying attention to what everyone's trying to report, what they're hearing. It's fun to do it that way. Yeah, it definitely is. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, in case you missed it yesterday, Chicago Fire were losing 2 nothing to Toronto FC. Toronto just uh, lost in the final of the uh, CONCACAF Champions League on Wednesday. Weren't sure what kind of team they'd put out there, and uh, their their team was out there. They were down 2 nothing to Fire. They came back. Bastian Schweinsteiger with a goal and an assist. They scored in the 93rd minute, and now they play Atlanta on a Saturday at Toyota Park. Atlanta is uh, seven games in a row unbeaten. So uh, it'll be an interesting game coming up next Saturday at See, Toyota Park. See, you mentioned Park. we were going to talk soccer Friday, and I thought you were going to talk about Crystal Palace putting up a five spot on Leicester City yesterday. No, no. Not going to talk about that. You don't want to talk about Swansea City? No, no Swansea. Southampton? We can talk about the Paul Pogba goal as, uh, as the nice, right? Man United are up there. But that league's over with, and all the leagues are over with. All the big championships have already true. been decided. True, true, true. Uh, Chris Black, Fred Hubner, Football Talk. We come back on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. It's been kind of a blur, you know. There's, It's been a lot, but I just... I feel so I feel so good right now. You know, there's just the whole building's energized. Um, there's just such a positive vibe around here. You know, and it, and it really originates from Matt, and then it's just infectious through our whole building. And it's continued with all the coaches that we've added. It's continued in the free agency. It's continued through this draft, and now it's happening right now in college free agency. It's just such an exciting time to be part of this organization. Boy, that's Ryan Pace. He's beating the table. He's beating the table, telling you how excited oh, he is. He's happy. He's ready to go, Fred. He's all set. He's excited. Chris Black, Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000, talking about the NFL draft. It's uh, finally over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, we are talking more now about the NFL draft and the Bears and overall everything that happened in the draft. We're on our studio Hot Rods hotline, we are joined by Mike Renner in just a minute. Uh, from Pro Football Focus. It was a nice lead-up, though. Yeah, it was good. I, yeah. I think we could just rerun that when he's ready to go. <laughs> we Let's just, we'll just roll the tape on Fred's uh, talk into the interview guest. Uh, but I, I'm excited to, to look at this, Fred, because there are a lot of question marks going into the offseason. I think Ryan Pace has addressed many of those. And if you are uh, one of those people who maybe is uh, growing a beard because the Cubs are, are not in first place yet. And you're one of those there, though. One of those people trying to get to nine wins for the upcoming Bears season. You got to like what Ryan Pace has done to this point in the offseason. I get it that it's all on paper at the moment, but all the moves that he has made, I like to this point for the Bears going forward. Yeah, and uh, Ryan Pace, as we heard, pounded the table talking about how excited he is and the people up at Hallis Hall. And now we go to the studio Hot Rods hotline. Let's see how excited Pro Football Focus and Mike Renner is as he joins us here on ESPN 1000. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. 
Um, before we went to you, we had uh, Ryan Pacecut. He could not be more excited about the first pick and the, his day two picks and moving up and everything else. He's excited about free agency. How excited were you and Pro Football Focus about what the Bears did in the draft? Yeah, we love their draft, especially just the first three picks. We thought the value on all those guys, Roquan, James Daniels, and Anthony Miller, was perfect uh, where they got them. So that's fairly rare for us for uh, you know three straight picks like that at the top to be all, us to be all in on them. What do you see for uh, Roquan Smith at the next level? We know he was great at Georgia. How do you see him fitting in with the Chicago Bears defense? Yeah, he, his issues are, you know, taking on blocks in the run game, which that's that's your biggest issue as a linebacker. You can do everything else well. Well, you're a modern linebacker in today's NFL because taking on blocks in the run game is probably the least important thing a linebacker does, you know, nowadays. So Roquan, to me, is a lot like Reuben Foster coming out a season ago, but without any of the off-field questions that Reuben Foster had. And, and he's worth the pick. He's that he's the modern linebacker. He reminds me of, you know, his that coverage ability, like someone like a Deion Jones where, he can cover basically anyone on the football field. He can cover wide receiver if you really need him to at times. So he has that. He's sort of a game changer in terms of the middle of that defense. You look at when Vic Fangio had his best defenses in San Francisco, it was with Patrick Willis, with the Navarro Bowman there, following the middle of the field. And with the zone coverages that he plays, that's a very important position in the defense. So to lock down a guy like that is uh, huge. Now, in the second round, uh, the Bears, it was weird because after, everybody had thought they wanted Quentin Nelson, and a lot of people wanted Quentin Nelson. Obviously, the Colts decided this year that they are going to try to find someone to protect their quarterback, and they drafted him before the Bears could get him. Second round starts, there were three guards that went before the Bears picked. I wasn't sure if there was still another guard out there, and there wasn't. There was a center, but uh, the Bears bring in uh, James Daniels from Iowa, and immediately Ryan Pace at the press conference afterwards said, no, 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 he's going to be our guard. He's good enough to play guard, even though he is one of the top-rated centers. Your thoughts on Daniels, and you think moving to the guard shouldn't be a problem? Yeah, I'm a fan of Daniels. Uh, he's his only his biggest issue in my eyes was he's a little, uh, a little his play strength a little lacking at the moment. But the thing is, his play strength is lacking because he's 20 years old right now. He's <laughs> he was one of our he was our highest-graded center last year in run blocking at only 20 years old. And you think if he fixes that play strength issue, if he continues to get stronger. Really, the sky's the limit. I'm surprised he didn't end up going in the first round when there was that run on offensive linemen. They were lucky that he did fall to them in the second there because uh, he's going to solidify the interior of that offensive line, keep that run game pretty strong for the Bears. What, what's the uh, pro projection for Anthony Miller, the wide receiver from Memphis? I, I think he's a great fit there because my favorite, where I liked him was in the slot. He's an incredibly shifty wide receiver. He's a great route runner. He's very sudden in his cuts. Uh, down the field is where he's not as good. I didn't think his deep speed wasn't, uh, you know, anything special in my opinion. So he goes to a place where if Kevin White and Allen Robinson are on the outside, him on the inside, uh, I think that's a great fit for him. When you look at the draft overall, uh, starting with number one, Baker Mayfield, did, did anything surprise you with the way it, because for weeks and weeks and months, people have been doing mock drafts and then it finally comes around. Were there things in the first round that surprised you? Yeah, there are a handful of things. I think just at number two, I just could not believe that the Giants actually drafted Saquon Barkley over the quarterbacks in this class. You know, you're not winning a Super Bowl with Eli Manning right now. So for them to completely pass on the, you know, glaring need that they'll have soon at the quarterback position was surprising to me. You know, Terrell Edmonds going in the first round was incredibly surprising to me. We had a six-round grade on him, and no one seemed to be terribly high on him. Then all of a sudden, he just comes off the board there to the Steelers late in the 20s. And uh, I, I think 
Lamar Jackson going to the Ravens was also pretty surprising to me. That's not one of the teams I had pegged him to be going to just because he's so you know different play style wise from Joe Flacco. So it was a it was a very just weird first round all around. Speaking of weird moves, I mean the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield one, Denzel Ward number four. So you get two of the top five players. Did they pick the two wrong top five players in this draft? I think they picked the two absolutely correct top five. That was that was what I would have done if I was the Cleveland Browns. I loved Baker Mayfield at the top. He's been our top quarterback for, you know, all throughout this draft process. Everything in our data points to him being the top guy in this class. And then Denzel Ward, in my opinion, was the top non-quarterback. If I were to draft anyone that wasn't QB in this class, it would have been Denzel Ward because really his only knock on him is his size. He's a little undersized for the cornerback position, but the speed, change of direction, ball skills, his ability in man coverage, he has all of that. And so I think they got, in my opinion, the best quarterback and the best non-quarterback in this class. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus, nice enough to join us for a few minutes here on ESPN 1000. Josh Rosen, uh, quarterback UCLA, he goes number 10 to the Cardinals, and then he lets everybody know that he was ticked off that he went number 10 and didn't go early, and he's got nine teams that he's going to show when he gets the chance to play that they made the mistake. Do you think he went a little over the top uh, for on opening day of the draft? Do you, do you like that in your quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I, so I like it to a degree, but to me it felt forced. It felt like his agent was, you know, leading them some li- feeding them some lines there and uh, telling them what to say because he kind of repeated the exact same thing in a couple different interviews. And it just didn't feel didn't feel genuine to me. And going tenth, I, I get that you want to be the top quarterback in this class, and maybe feel slighted by that, but it's not a huge fall. So, yeah, you want that sort of chip on your shoulder mentality from a QB, but it, to me, it just didn't feel super genuine. What do you think about Sam Darnold going three to the Jets? I think they just lucked into you know one of you know, a franchise quarterback. We had Darnold and Mayfield as our top two guys. Uh, and I thought there was a pretty big gap after them to the the rest of the class, and so for that for them to basically you know fleece the Giants here and get a franchise type guy when the Giants are stuck now with the running back, I, I just I thought they had a fantastic draft, and for them to get him there was uh, great value. Now you say stuck with the running back, and a lot of people <laughs> talked about Saquon Barkley and all the things he can do. I mean, uh, do you think he will be good? Uh, do you think he will excel with the Giants and that maybe the team won't? I mean, because we know about running backs that are really good and teams struggle here in Chicago, but all the way back to Gale Sayers and then Peyton for the longest time uh, before they were able to win. Do you think that Barkley will succeed and be very, very good in the league and just the Giants won't be? Yeah, that's so that's the thing. It's in today's NFL, you don't want to run the football. You want to do everything you can to help out your passing game and help out your pass defense because everything in the data, everything in our analytics points to the fact that passing is what wins football games. Stopping the pass is what wins football games. Having a strong running game really has no correlation to winning football games. Just we saw with the Jaguars last year, the best defense in the NFL was one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. It, it just it doesn't really behoove you to be running football, and so now you draft a running back, you draft some offensive linemen to help them get some run blocking, but you've done nothing to alter your passing game. You're still going to have Eli Manning struggling back there, and you still have a week, you know, a week-ish secondary that you could have bolstered there at the top of the draft. So I just think that the Giants are kind of going to flounder for a few years. They're just not really – they're not a team that's built to win now, and if you're not built to win now – Go find a quarterback. <laughs> like, go find a way to improve your passing game. Get a franchise guy. So, 
I just disagreed with a lot of the reasons for the pick, but I think Saquon's a fantastic player. You know, the last pick of the first round, Lamar Jackson going to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, did the Ravens find a quarterback for the future, or is this a long-term project to turn into a wide receiver at some point? I, I think he's going to stick at QB. So they have Greg Roman on staff there on their offensive staff. Uh, he was the offense coordinator back in San Francisco when they sort of completely retooled their offense to fit Colin Kaepernick midseason after Alex Smith went down and then, you know, from subsequent seasons on there. So he's a perfect sort of mind to groom a guy like that and change the offense when, you know, Lamar Jackson does come in or if he does come in because he is, uh, he's a guy who is not going to run the same offense that, you know, Joe Flacco runs, that Aaron Rodgers runs, that Tom Brady runs because he just not, doesn't have that sort of talent as a pocket passer, but what he can do with his legs can change the game from a running perspective and just make defenses have to account for you uh, far more than you know any any running back. It just completely alters what defenses have to do for you. So I do think he is going to stay at quarterback, uh, learn you know just just uh, learn an NFL offense here, get a few years on the bench to do that, and then see what they do. Uh, you know, see where Joe Flacco's at if he continues this sort of downward spiral that he's been on ever since the Super Bowl. Mike, we appreciate all the information. Thanks. We'll, we'll keep following you on Pro Football Focus. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Have a good one. Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus joining us here on ESPN 1000. We're going at the bottom of the hour in just a little bit because we have basketball with LeBron and uh, the Cavs going against the Pacers. I want to ask you some, yeah. a question before about uh, the draft. Um, Calvin Ridley, there was a lot of talk from Bears fans, from other people saying hey, Bears need a receiver. Calvin Ridley, the best guy out there. He goes 26th, and he might not have been happy dropping to 26th. The Atlanta Falcons got to be over the top happy, and I would think Matt Ryan's got to be so excited because um, he'll fit in perfect there, won't he? Absolutely. Jeez. And if you look at it, I mean, you lose Taylor Gabriel to the Chicago Bears, yeah. and you add Calvin Ridley. I mean, yeah. Matt Ryan, that offense is going to be uh-huh. outstanding, and the fact that he is now not the focal point as a rookie. Right. I think now totally changes the way he'll develop as well. Because I could see a lot of people saying he's the number one wide receiver in this year's draft. So you spend the high pick. Then he comes in. He struggles a little early. Takes some time to like get up and going. But with the Falcons, it doesn't matter. You yeah. have Julio Jones. Right. You, you have all these other weapons. Yeah. Like. They're going to be really good, and this is a fantastic move for the Falcons. Yeah, I thought it was a really good move, too. Uh, one thing, and, I, and I'm not doing this to pacify Packers fans, but the Packers knew they needed uh, defensive backs, yeah. and the Packers' first two picks were two of the best defensive backs in the draft. Yeah. Uh, good move by them? I think so, and I think if you look at the way the rest of the division is going, is it's all about the quarterbacks in the NFC North, and it's all about stopping the quarterbacks. So, like, how different is that than the old school strap it up and let's play uh, Monsters of the Midway style football? I mean, the Packers' defense and in the secondary has been trashed for a few years now. Aaron Rodgers kind of makes up for some of that because they can just score with anyone offensively. So the fact that the back end secondary gives up all these touchdowns and late end drives, you know, we saw that with Dak Prescott last year against the Packers and then Aaron Rodgers came back and, you know, all that different stuff. uh, It's good for them that they have two guys that can slot into the secondary. Uh, One of my best friends is a huge Packers fan. Yeah, Uh, a couple of my friends are. Tim loved the moves. Yeah, Uh, He thinks that's the right direction. He also still hates... Uh, McCarthy. He hates uh, everyone uh, 
who's not Aaron Rodgers up there in Green Bay. So I, I think he likes those moves. Well, they're upset too, and I, Packers fans are upset because uh, they figured that um, you know Rodgers was not asked about the changes that the team was making, getting rid of certain coaches and things like that. And uh, but you know what? It gets to a point where the management has to do what management has to do, and the players have to play with whatever they got. Sure, you know. So I'm, well, let, let's be honest. The Packers are going to be there longer than Aaron Rodgers will, yes, and I will. know that he's the franchise now, and they're wasting away his prime, as uh, my Packer friends say. But listen, he can't dictate policy because there's a bigger picture involved. Because at some point, he will be gone, and they're going to have to carry on. They want to carry on in the right direction where they're a winning football club going forward. So, what do you, what do you think about the uh, the Raiders? And this has nothing to do with the, the draft. Uh, because I think a lot of people are interested to see how John Gruden's going to get along. But how do you like this for receivers? He's got Amari Cooper. He has Jordy Nelson. And they signed Martavis Bryant. Yeah. They worked the deal and they brought Martavis Bryant over. So I know the the consensus was kind of like, well, the wide receivers on the board may not be as good as Marta- Martavis Bryant right. yeah. when they made the trade. So that's why they pulled it off. Uh, to me, isn't that just more of the same with the Oakland Raiders? Where you get questionable guys in the locker room yeah. who kind of have high potential but have had problems in the past on or off the field. Doesn't that, like, when that trade was announced, that's like this stereotypical Oakland Raider move. Here's a guy who kind of had a falling out, didn't really produce to some level where you right. were like, this guy's a stud. He's good. He's decent. But, I mean, look at the production for Martavius Bryant. Is that really – I mean, I would have rather had, like, a rookie who you knew didn't have any issues than maybe Martavius Bryant. But it mixes well with what they have. Amari, Amari Cooper, they have uh, Jordy Nelson. Maybe Derek Carr will throw uh, more than five yards downfield this year, and maybe he'll be a productive quarterback again. But yeah. who knows? I mean, that could have been all smoke and mirrors two years ago anyway, the way – Carr played because there's a lot of questions. If you look at his stats from last year, he basically drops back, looks downfield for a second, and then immediately goes to a checkpoint. Yeah. And that's awful. If you look up video on Pro Football Focus. That's kind of changed with Gruden there, though, doesn't it? You got to think. Football outsiders, you look up the advanced analytics with Carr. He is not a good quarterback right now. He was decent two years ago, and he looked like a budding superstar. But he took a major step back last year. He, I mean, he threw like the lowest yards per per reception in in all football. Some of and, that might have been though. Some of that might have been he was worried about getting hurt. You well, know what I mean, because well, he was, is that one, or is it kind of like Trubisky where he didn't even go through the progressions? He had one and then get yeah, out. Yeah, you know, step back, one read. Okay, tuck it and run. He was probably I, trying to be safe because he knew he didn't want to go out again after getting. Yeah, but but Fred, hurt. we know how it works. Oh, if, no, you, if you have, if you're never willing to stretch the field, then the defense knows. Just pin your ear, ears back and go for it because yeah. he's going to immediately check down to the running back or the tight end, and that's going to be that. And then you move on three and out, and here we go. The Rams have a lot of wide receivers. So many wide receivers, they were able to tra- move Tavon Austin. I saw uh, Tavon Austin going to the Cowboys for a sixth rounder. That's a little thing that I w- I didn't see. I mean, I, I came in this morning, I saw that, and that you know. Tavon Austin a couple years ago was the guy that a lot of people said, that's the kind of receiver you need. That's the guy you need. Well, now the Cowboys have him. I think he might excel. He might do well in the Cowboys offense. Now that they don't have Des Bryant, who's still looking for a team, right? Trayvon Austin is the uh, the, the typical fantasy football guy. Yeah. 
He's a guy that we all know his name because of potential fantasy football stats and numbers that he puts up. Uh huh. Yet he's not a good football player. Right, like, like, and that's the he's problem. Is that, he's one of those guys where you say we got to find a way to get yeah. the ball into his hands. He's he got, got so he much gets the ball in his hands, and he doesn't do anything with it. And yeah. occasionally, he he rattles off a seventy-yard return or a little slot pass that he takes to the house. I mean, he's you know, it's kind of like Tariq Cohen. Is Tariq Cohen really a good football player, or he's had a couple of good highlights? Yeah, well, that's you know what I'm saying. And like that's what Trayvon Austin is. is yeah. Trayvon Austin hasn't produced for the Rams, and they've been waiting many years for him to do that. Maybe it'll happen with the Cowboys. Doubt it. But that's a guy we all know the name because of fantasy football. But he's not really a good football player. Yeah, you know what I realized when I was watching um, the highlights when I was watching the draft on ESPN with Wingo and those guys, and I was so aggravated that they oh, had no. technical problems with Lewis Riddick's mic. Oh. They had to shut Lewis well, Riddick down for like an hour and a half. He well, just sat there. The Lewis Riddick robot had to be been, shut down. Had to be restarted. Are it, you t- are you saying the robot? He's a robot, and he had to be restarted. It would have rebooted. Been, it would have been so much easier if you just let him leave the thing <laughs> if he, instead of having him sit there and not be able to say anything. Well, did you see at the end when they said that all of their monitors started to melt because it was so hot in the sun? No, that was that was when they went out because they weren't outside originally. No, I know, but, but at the end of yeah. yesterday, no, at the end of that. the broadcast, they they thanked like all the people and um, Todd McShay had like all these stats of all the player bios they had. They had like five hundred and something bios, even though like two hundred and fifty yeah. guys get drafted. So they had like enough prep work for anyone to get drafted. Sure, no if, if they would have called Fred Hubner's name yesterday, they would have had, had yeah. a video of Fred sure. in the three technique rushing the passer. But yeah. so so they had to reboot the Lewis Riddick bot. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was it was I, it was day one of the draft. I felt so bad he was sitting there. But what I did realize <laughs> is that no matter who they called, they only show the good plays. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> these are the guys' highlights. So everybody says this guy's amazing. Look right. at him. Look at him. he flattens this guy. He pancake. They show Mike McGlinchey pancaking a guy. They show this. They don't show Mike McGlinchey getting beat or Quentin Nelson getting beat. They yeah. don't show those things. So just you know, everybody. You know, some of those receivers you saw that look really good. They drop passes too. Yeah. You know, so. it's uh, that that's what happens when you don't actually watch the games. If you rely on the highlights, right. you know, it's like um, I know some Bulls fans who have tuned out the Bulls from this previous year because of the rebuild and and tanking and all that stuff. And you hear people say, well, Cameron Payne playing well. And you hear like <laughs> Lowry marketing uh-huh. superstar stud in the making. It's like if you watch the games like he's good, but he's not like completely changing the game. He's no. just floating around the three-point line and hitting shots when he gets it. Yeah. Well, there are a lot you know of guys I mean? like, in the NBA playoffs that float around the three-point line. Sure. Yeah, Kyle Korver, floater. They, yeah, but they have other guys. Channing Fry, yeah. floater. Oof. But but if you got a guy that you draft in the top 10 who's going to be a part of the rebuild going forward, he should probably do a little bit more as a rookie now. Well, he may. <clears throat> he got tired. Donovan Mitchell? He got tired. Ben Simmons? Yeah. He got tired. Okay, you know. he, got tired. he got tired. He's a small. He's a little guy. He only played one year in a of a, a college ball. He's, he got he's, tired. he's new to he's new to the country. You what know? was he a soft Euro player, Fred? What well, is this? Well, you know, hot takes from 1996. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, he he reminded many people of uh, Dirk. 
We'll see if he can stick around and play as well as Dirk. Thanks to Patrick Finley from the Sun-Times, Sadiq Sharma from The Athletic, still trying to fix his phone, and Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. You're busy today. What does LeBron do today? You can hear the game right here on ESPN 1000 in a half an hour. Fred, what do you think? What does LeBron do today? I think it's a close game till the end, and uh, then Oladipo comes in to slam on him, and uh, Oladipo gets taken to the ground. Wow. Triple-double for LeBron. I think he goes for 40. They win by at least 10. Ah. I'd like to see him get bounced, though, but yeah. I think I think we'll LeBron will survive. Thanks to uh, Felix Reyes for all of his help. You'll be back tomorrow with Kip or Cap or whoever Kip, yeah, it is. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. right here, starting at 9 o'clock on ESPN 1000. Flappy!